0: He is risen. Yeah. So today, our theme is empty. We're going to be talking about empty, and you might be able to figure out where we're going with that. But I uh, I looked up the word empty this week, and here's what I found. The word empty means to contain nothing, uh, not filled, or occupied. And so, what I did for the last couple weeks was I uh, went around and I was asking people when you think of the word empty, What comes to your mind? And do you think it's a good thing or a bad thing? And what I found was... that empty is not necessarily, you know, good or bad. It kind of depends on what it is and who you are. And so uh, I got a ton of uh, comments about things that people thought were empty, and it, it led to some actually really, really good conversations. But I wanted to just note for you some of the empty things that, that people brought to mind. Um, the, the one that came up a lot was empty email inbox. I had people going, yeah. And, and, and here's what I found. Like, how many of you, you would say, that's a good thing? Just raise your hand. How many of you would say that's a bad thing, right? Like if you're expecting an important email, right, or something like that, or, you know, a contract or a job offer or grades or something, it may be that you want email, but I found most people don't want email. Uh, this one came up a lot too. Apparently we're uh, a church full of uh, people who are addicted uh, to caffeine, and I didn't have every single person said a coffee cup, an empty coffee cup makes them sad, hmm. Not a first world problem at all. And this one's actually more legit, right? <laughs> the empty bank account. Yeah, you're laughing now, right? <laughs> Super funny. Uh, or, or here's one that came up. People said, I had a student loan or I, I owed money on a house or whatever, and then I didn't. So I had no, uh, no debt, right? That's kind of, right? That's a good one. That's just everybody likes that. And that actually didn't come up as much as the one above it. Uh, Let's see, uh, empty fuel tank. Uh, so I said this before, it, um, I've never run out of fuel, um, but other people in my house have. We'll just move right along. Uh, uh, to-do list. So this is an interesting one. I had people say, you know, their idea of a great day was to get up and look at their to-do list and there's nothing on their to-do list. How many of you, nothing? think, how many of you would say, that's a good thing? How many of you would say, no, that's a bad thing, right? Here's, it's a bad thing, I'm sorry, because if I get up in the morning and there's nothing on my to-do list, that means I need to do my to-do list, that's like, there's always something on there, there's never, uh, I had somebody mention to me uh, an empty fridge and she was telling me about a time in her life when that was, there really wasn't any food in the house and that was, that was a sad thing. Um, actually my wife put this one and she said, this is a great thing. Um, An empty, (laughs) empty dishwasher. It means one of the men in the house uh, emptied it, which is a a good thing for her, I guess. Uh, How about a low energy level? I've had people say, you know, I'm getting older. Um, This is the third sermon of the weekend. Uh, I'm not feeling. I don't have as much energy as I had. I should have probably had more candy this morning. Um, Energy level. Here's another one. Um, Just a schedule. So again, I found this interesting. I had more than one person mention an empty schedule, but not everybody agreed. Some people said it was good. Like, just get up in the morning. I mean, what if you get up in the morning, do anything you want tomorrow morning? How many of you would say, that'd be a great thing? Tomorrow morning, no schedule. How many of you would be like, yeah, no, not a good, am I the only one, right? Because, again, thank you. Because, again, I know there's something to do, right? I mean, you know there's there's something to do. I just got to figure out what it is. Um, How about this one? Uh, Hmm. so I did have people, it was, a, it was actually of a particular, uh, well, it was parents. Um, parents who said uh, they, they often um, are empty when it comes to patience and they're just, but they said, you know, I'm always just, I'm actually my best person uh-huh. when I have no patience. Yeah, nobody said that. Um <laughs> All right, so this one, uh, people can't agree on this. Empty nest, right? So I had some people say, I'm really sad because we have an empty nest. I had a few people say, I'm sad because we're about to have an empty nest. How many of you would just like to try an empty nest, right? <laughs> I, I, I had a lot of hands in the last service. People were like, because I was like, how many don't, you know, how many are, makes that sad? And I see all these people like, you know, yeah. Uh, okay, empty nest. Uh, empty heart. And um, talked with several people in the last few weeks who are, um, have lost loved ones, um, have, lo- have lost other things, and are just feeling very sad, uh, very empty. Uh, this is our uh, music pastor suggested this. Um, they have two young kids, and he just, right, Scott, empty diaper, it's a good thing if it's your turn, right? It's not your diaper, right? It's the kids. Okay, <laughs> just, just making sure. Uh, yeah, um, promises, right? Uh, I had a few people this week share about how they're, they're just heartbroken because somebody really important to them made promises to them that they didn't keep. That's a sad thing. Uh, empty threats. I just thought, so I thought, listen, right? uh, is an empty threat a bad thing? Well, it's, it's empty, so I, I, don't know, I don't care. And here's my contribution. This is the one I liked right there. <laughs> empty litter box. In fact, you know what's better than an empty litter box? No litter box. That's right. <laughs> Thank you. So empty, is it good or bad? It, it depends. It depends on what it is and who you are. Yeah. Sorry. Yes, he is not here, for he's risen. The empty tomb kind of changes everything. Today, there are billions of people all over the world who are celebrating an empty tomb. They're celebrating a a Jewish carpenter raised in a poor family in an obscure town, Uh, lived about 33 years, Uh, was only in the public eye for about three years, um never traveled more than 30 miles from home, and yet his name is known on every end of this earth. Never wrote a book, but more books have been written about him than anyone or anything else. Never wrote a song that we know of, but more songs have been and still are being written about him than anyone else. Never owned a home, and yet more buildings have been built in his honor. And every weekend, over a third of the world's population gather in his name and we recount stories about what he did what he taught and we sing about him and we worship him and we believe we believe in him a question always comes up but why why did jesus come why did jesus live the life he lived why did he die the way that he died why did he rise again from the dead And this is something we talk about on a a weekly basis here at Gateway, but we believe that we were created by a creator, that we are are not some um, random result of uh, some cosmic accident and eventually, after billions of years, here we are. We believe that we were created by a creator who created us in his image, who created every one of us with tremendous worth and value, and he created us with purpose. One time Jesus was asked, in fact, that question, what is the main purpose? Like if you just boiled everything down, what would you say that life is about? And Jesus said two things, two things. To love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, I know that our, our culture wants to always continually redefine love and, in terms of what feels good, but the Bible tells us what real love is. When we really love God, there's two things that always go along with that. In fact, there's an old song uh, about this, trust and obey, right? When we, really, when we really love God, we'll trust him. We'll trust that he is good. We'll trust that he knows what's best for us. We trust that he is sovereign, and we obey him because we trust him. And we love each other. But the problem, and you know what the problem is, the problem is sin. And we talk about sin a lot, but probably not nearly enough. But the Bible says that the first people that God created were living in this perfect world and someone came and lied to them and they believed the lie. And when it really gets right down to it, what the lie was about was it was calling into question whether, whether God could really be trusted. Whether God really had our best interests at heart. Whether following God's word would actually result in the best life possible. And these people, they decided that they didn't trust God. And so they defied his word to them. They took the life that he had given them and they decided to go and do what they wanted with it. And that word sin basically means to miss the mark. In two areas in particular. It means that we we don't love God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. And we don't love our neighbor as ourself. And I know, I talk with people every now and then who'll say, you know, pastor, I don't believe in sin. That's just like an old, you know, old thing. And it's a, it's a way that religion gets guilt over me. And I basically believe that everyone is good and people just mess up sometimes. And You know, I just always want to ask, do you ever watch the news? Do you ever read the internet? You know, ever read the paper? Like, I woke up this morning and turned on the internet, and uh, there it was, right? Uh, Bombed churches and people dead, and this is the world that we live in. It's full of sin. But the problem is, a lot of times what we do is we'll say, well, I I know there's sin in the world, but I'm, I'm not really I'm not that bad. And we, we have a tendency to do this. Like, I know I'm not perfect, but at least I'm, I'm not as bad as the person sitting next to me. Like, they probably have a problem. And, and here's what it gets down to. We tend to not be good at self-assessment. We're really good at seeing the sin in other people's. We are not very good at noticing the sin in ourselves. Uh, some study that was done a few years ago, uh, here's some interesting results. Of Americans, 79% of drivers in the U.S. believe they are in the top 25% of drivers. Yeah, I've seen some of you drive. You're not in that group. (laughs) I'm not either though, just to be fair. 98% of high school seniors believe that they are above average when it comes to leadership skills. 98%, right? Uh, Math is not their strength. Uh, 25% of us believe that we're in the top 1% when it comes to our ability to get along with other people, right? We just tend to think that we get along with other people. It's other people that are the problem. 94% of college professors believe they do above average work compared to their peers. Mm-hmm. And 95% of us believe that we are more likely to provide an accurate self assessment than anyone else in this room, right? But the Bible says that we are sinners, every single one of us. And the results of sin are undeniable. Two things in particular. There is physical death in the world because of sin. Because of sin, everyone dies, 100%. This is what happens. And, and the longer I'm at Gateway, I've been here for 25, almost 26 years. You know, I, I feel like I'm burying more people I know and more people I know, and here's what I know. If I live long enough and you stay here long enough, I'll probably bury you too. That's just the way that it goes, right? spiritual death is the other one right because of sin we lost our connection with god we lost intimacy with god we lo- our, our soul is dead in fact our soul is so dead that uh, and this is the problem with dead things dead things cannot fix themselves and our souls are dead and we cannot fix ourselves but god had a solution You know, for thousands of years, God had reached out to us through prophets and through his word and through blessing and miracles and and spiritual leaders, but ultimately, the Bible says at just the right time, in just the right place, Jesus came into this world. Jesus, who was eternal God, part of the Godhead, part of the Trinity. We believe scripture says that Jesus was born in the flesh, born of a virgin, that he lived a perfect life that at 30 years old he began a ministry that lasted just only about three years. He taught truth. He revealed God. He worked miracles and he healed and he fed and he loved and he spent time with the disenfranchised and the irreligious and the outcast. and he spoke words that were so amazing they're still embraced today by billions of people, even by people who don't really believe in Jesus but they thought he said some pretty amazing things. But the religious leaders hated him, and they hated him because Jesus was dismantling their religious system that held people in bondage. Jesus was breaking it apart and telling people that they could have a personal relationship with God. Ultimately, they conspired to have him crucified. They crucified him on a Friday. We call that Good Friday. They put him in a tomb. The sun was setting. and Because they were Jews, they could not handle that body once the Sabbath began. And so they quickly kind of put him in the tomb, and they had to wait Friday night and wait Saturday. And on Sunday morning, on Sunday morning when the sun came up, we pick up the story in Luke chapter 24. We read what happened on that first day, on that Sunday, on that Easter Sunday. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, They went to the tomb. They are some of the women who were followers of Jesus. And they were taking the spices that they had prepared. So why are they going to the tomb? Well, it basically tells us they're taking spices because they expected to find a dead body in the tomb. That's what they expected. They would get there and the body would be there and that's why they had spices that they had prepared because they were gonna finish preparing the body for burial that's what they expected. Now Mark, the Gospel of Mark tells us that as they were going, they were having a conversation. They were worried because they knew that the a big stone had been put in front of the tomb and they didn't know how they were going to get in. What they didn't know is that there had been an earthquake at dawn and the stone had moved and the guards had fled. In verse 2, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, so this is an interesting word, that word perplexed means to be at loss. So they didn't walk in and go, oh my gosh, it's a resurrection. Yeah, yeah, let's have, let's have a service. Let's go tell everyone. In fact, they, with their assumption was that somebody stole the body. I mean, this is crazy to me. These people have been listening to Jesus, following him for three years, and he told them that he rise from the dead, and they didn't believe him. So they go to the tomb. They're expecting to find a body, and when they don't find a body, their assumption is, well, somebody must have taken it. I mean, what other options are there? Verse five. Behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and as they were frightened and bowed down their faces to the ground, the men said to them, and this is a great question, why do you seek the living Among the the who? The dead. Now, that's a great question, but their answer probably would have been, well, because we saw him die, and we saw him placed in the tomb, and we expected him to stay dead, and that's why we came with the spices, because... We thought he was dead. I don't know if you've ever felt like you just don't know what to do with the resurrected Jesus. How do you process that? What, what do you do with that? Well, you're in good company because these women knew Jesus personally and they didn't know what to do with it. And I always kind of uh, laugh. I was reading an article the other day from uh, some guy who was saying, you know, Basically, the Easter story is all made up, and um, the Gospels are made up, and none of this stuff really happened. And I, I was thinking as I was listening to him, you know, if the, if the Gospels are made up, those writers didn't do a very good job. You know, I mean, who writes a story and makes the heroes out to be idiots? Because that's kind of what's going on here, right? The, the people that are supposed to be the heroes of the story, the disciples, they don't believe. They don't, in fact, I've always said it would have been a much more interesting story. If after they placed Jesus in the tomb and they sealed it and the guards were there, it would have been a way better story if like the disciples came, like right after that Friday evening they showed up, they had lawn chairs and some tents and a couple of coolers and snacks and sandwiches and they're ready to go and they put a countdown clock above the stone, right? And then like Ma- uh, Mary, his mother came and she brought the siblings along and then Lazarus and his sisters came because they've seen a resurrection, they know how awesome it is so they're there and, and people got the free Lunch, and went to the wedding, and got the good wine, and they're coming. Good morning, Jerusalem is there, you know, with the cameras rolling. And on Sunday morning, I just always think, how cool would it have been? They're all in their lawn chairs, right? They're just having some breakfast, and and all of a sudden, you know, the 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 sun is starting to, it's going to come up, and and so uh, there's a little bit of a rumble. And they start counting. I just picture the clock like 10, right? Nine, they're all excited. Eight, And pretty soon the stone starts to roll. They're like seven and the guards are running and all of a sudden you get to one and Jesus walks out like there's light from the back and he walks out and the theme to Rocky's playing. da 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 right? He's like coming down the steps and instead Jesus comes out to an audience of like zero. Well, I think there was some angels there, but they already knew it was happening, so it wasn't like a big deal. But all the disciples, none of them were there. When when he was crucified and when he was put in the tomb, the disciples went to a room and they locked the door. Despite the miracles and the incredible teaching and the raising of Lazarus from the dead and the feeding of thousands, they watched him die and they expected him to stay dead. It's it's mind-blowing, verse six. And they said, he's not here, but he is risen. risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified? Do you remember how he told you that he'd raise on the third day? And they were like, oh, yeah, that's right. He did say something about that. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things. So the women went back to where the disciples were with the door locked, and they went to them, and they told them everything that happened. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And the apostles were like, that's amazing, we believe. No, actually what it says is they seemed like, an, it seemed like an idle tale to them and they did not believe them. They just thought, well, the women are tired and they're, they're grief stricken and they're going through denial. But Peter he rose and ran to the tomb, and we know John ran with them also. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. So again, you have to understand that word marveling. It has the idea of thinking and processing, but not coming to a conclusion. He doesn't break into a song. He doesn't celebrate. There's no worship. There's no belief, he still doesn't know. So now the the, the rest of that day goes by and Jesus starts appearing to people and reports keep coming to the disciples but they don't know because they're in a locked room, right? And then we read this in John, it says this, now on the evening of that first day, so the, the whole day's gone by of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, right? So they're afraid that the people killed Jesus are coming for them next. They're not out publicly proclaiming Jesus. They're not looking for him. Hey, we heard a report that Jesus is down at 7-Eleven. They have no idea. They're not looking for him or anything. And then Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, actually some comforting words. He said, peace be with you. All right, now think about this for a minute. They saw him killed. They saw him put in the tomb. They saw the tomb sealed. They thought he was dead. They didn't think he was coming back to life. The doors are locked. He doesn't knock on the door. He doesn't climb in the window. He just walks through the doors, and he says, peace be with you, because they are freaking out, right? Because he just walked through, a dead man has just walked through the walls. And after he said this, he showed them his hands, he showed them his side, he said, check it out, see that it's me. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Not just full of joy, they were over, overjoyed. And so this empty tomb for them produces this joy. Think about it. That changes everything for the disciples. The resurrection is the only thing that can explain what happens next, the only thing. It changed the disciples. They went from not believing to worshiping right there, and then they unlocked the door, and then they went outside, and then they started telling people about Jesus. There was no social advantage of following Jesus in that day, and that's putting it lightly. It was unpopular, uh, it was dangerous, Christians became outcasts, persecuted, driven from their homes, driven from their towns, put in prison, they were tortured, they were even killed, and yet they would not shut up. And the gospel spread throughout Jerusalem and the region and the empire and the world. And 2,000 years later, billions of people followed Jesus and celebrate his resurrection. How in the world do you explain that It's because the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. And the resurrection validates the life of Christ and the claims of Christ. And he made a lot of claims, right? He said things like, you know, I and the Father are one. He said things like, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He said things like, I can forgive sins. He said that and the religious leaders were like, no, only God can forgive sin. And Jesus like, Bingo, right? He said things like, live by my word. See, if a guy lives a life like Jesus did and rises from the dead, you should listen to that guy. And here's what he offers us. He offers us a full life from an empty tomb. A full life from an empty tomb. In John 10, he says this, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that we might have life and have it to the full. And so in the time that we have left on your notes in the back of the handout, I want to just mention a few, and we won't get through all of them, Um, and I won't do to you what I was encouraged to do, okay? So at 8 o'clock, we only had an hour and a half before the next service started, so basically I preached, and I couldn't get through everything, so I cut some stuff out, and then I said, amen, and I said, get out of here, and so everyone had to leave, and then the next service came, and we did the same thing, and somebody just came up and said, hey, you don't have to, no hurry, no one else is coming, right? I'm not going to do that to you, but we won't get through everything, but I want to get through a few. So here's, here's the first thing that God offers to us through an empty tomb. He offers us grace. He offers to fill us with his grace. And in Ephesians chapter two, let me read this for you. A couple of key words here. If you're taking notes, you might underline these. It is by, and here's the first word, grace. It is by grace you have been saved through, and here's the second word, faith. So grace and faith. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for, and then here's the phrase, good things we have done. Or we could think works or religion or ritual. So none of us can boast about it. So a couple of key concepts in this verse. Faith, grace, and not a reward for the good things we've done. Now that word faith in the New Testament is synonymous, at, it has the idea of trust, has the word, idea of belief. And so those three words often appear interchangeably. Believe, trust, um, in Jesus, this kind of thing. Um, and basically what he's saying is this, that faith is when we when we believe in i would put it two ways it's when we believe in jesus but not just in jesus we believe jesus so for instance i know a lot of people say well i believe in god they'll say well i don't i don't really know who he is or what he's about but i believe in god i believe that there's a god that's really not the kind of faith he's talking about here we would say it's not believing in jesus as much as it's believing jesus so that we are believing the things that he said. We're believing in the things that he did. We we actually believe Jesus. And here's what it says, when we believe him, it means we trust him, we trust him. And when we trust him, God gives us something. And what he gives us is the second word, it's the word grace. He gives us grace when we believe. And that word grace means a free gift, or technically unmerited favor, it's not something you have earned, or are earning, or could ever earn. You'll never be able to earn this. It's not the point. It's just a gift that God gives to you. God did all the work. God paid for it, and God gives it away. Not as a reward for the good things that we've done. And so we say a lot of times, you know, religion can be summed up with one word. It's the word do, D-O. Do this, do this, do this. Keep these rules, pray this way, give this much, and maybe God will accept you. Christianity is defined by the word done. God has already done it all. Jesus has done it all. Jesus has paid the price. You simply accept the gift. But I find that the idea of accepting a gift from God is still so difficult for many of us, and I find that even after years of preaching, sometimes I'll preach on Grace on a weekend and somebody who has heard a hundred messages on Grace will finally come up and go, I think I get it now, the idea of a free gift. So I was thinking this week about grace and how to explain it, and I, so I have a little illustration for you. My wife and I, we belong to a, a grow group, and many of you belong to grow groups, and there's some other families in there, and we get together on a regular basis, and we eat, and we talk, and we eat, and we, you know, uh, share prayer requests, and we eat, and we do a lot of eating, and, um, and we love our group. Now, uh, every year we have a, we have a Christmas party. And at the Christmas party, uh, we started years ago, we did a white elephant gift exchange. You ever do that? And so everybody brings some cheesy little gift and you just give away. I, we go in the basement and find something and then wrap it up and take it. And a couple years ago, we had some people in our group who really wanted to kind of raise the game. Like, hey, let's bring some, some better gifts. And, and they were like, you know, we don't, uh, we don't steal gifts enough. Right, you ever do that? And I, like, this is what happened in our group a few years ago. Somebody got a, a big box of pots and pans and, you know, they were like, oh I've been praying for pots and pans so nobody was going to steal it from them and be like (laughs) right would Jesus steal it from you Jesus would be like and so some people in the group were like you know it's not even any fun so we got to get mean and get tough so this year I didn't get to go I had pneumonia and I had to stay home and so my wife went without me and she was there and she came home that evening and she came in the house and she said guess what um, you got a gift. I'm like, I got a gift? I wasn't even there. She's like, I know, go look in the garage. And I went in the garage and there was a box. Um, in the box was actually, so this, it was, it was still in the box. Um, so it is a gas-powered <laughs> leaf blower. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like every time I put this on, I feel a little bit like, uh, well, anyways. All right, so there are a couple of things. <laughs> couple of things about this. It has cruise control, right? Which is super sweet. It blows at 175 miles an hour. That's like having a class five hurricane strapped to your bag. It's like super awesome. I feel so powerful. If my calculations are correct, you can blow the neighbor's cat off your lawn at 15 feet. It's, it's super awesome. Super awesome. Now here's the reason that I mentioned that to you. Number 1 because I just I love it. It's like super cool. But secondly, it's because it's a great picture of what I'm talking about, right? Like I didn't go to the party, I didn't draw a number, I didn't pick the box, I didn't steal it from someone, I didn't contribute. I wasn't even there. I just get to enjoy the gift. And this is what God has done for us in Christ. He has provided a gift for us. He has paid the price. It's called grace. And he gives us his grace when we believe. This is why Jesus rose from the grave. There's a second thing, though, that he wants to give to us, and that's righteousness. Now, I find when you use words like righteousness... Uh, people kind of get glazed looks in their eyes, but this is actually pretty exciting stuff. Here's what it says in Romans. God will credit righteousness. I'll explain it in a minute for us who believe. So there's the idea. If you believe, then God gives you righteousness. In him who raised our Lord from the dead. Well, there's there's the resurrection. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. I was taught years ago. Here's how you can remember what justification means. It's just as if I never sinned right so he says we have this ability to have this relationship with God how does this work well Martin Luther put it this way he said that you can imagine that when Jesus is on this earth he lived a perfect life uh, an absolutely perfect life and then he went to the cross that was always God's plan for him he went to the cross and on the cross he took all of your sin all of your guilt all of the judgment coming your way he took all of it and he took it up on the cross where he bled and suffered and died he paid the price or the debt for your sin And what scripture tells us and what Martin Luther explained was this, that when you place your faith in Christ, God does an exchange. There's an exchange that takes place. He takes all of your sin and all of your guilt and all of your shame. It's almost as if God has a ledger with your name on it and all of your debts. And when you place your faith in Christ, he takes all of your sin away and he gives you the righteousness of Christ. Christ. The perfection of Christ. In other words, he erases all the sin out of your book and he just writes Jesus' righteousness in there. That's why he uses this term credit, because it's like credit for you in heaven. You're no longer alienated from God. You are his child. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to gain it through a ritual. You are loved by God and you are accepted. Jesus' death and resurrection can set us free from our sin and judgment and hell and the fear of death. And this happens when we believe. Let me mention one other. And that is that the empty tomb fills us who believe with hope. I don't know if you've ever had the thought like, there's got to be more to life than this life. And scripture says that God has placed this idea of eternity in every one of our hearts. We know that we are created for more than this. In 1 Peter it tells us this, according to God's great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope Through the resurrection. So there we have that empty tomb again. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then he says it's to an inheritance. So he's talking about our future. He's talking about heaven. To an inheritance that is imperishable. That is, it'll it'll never go away. It it, it can never be defiled. It can never rust or rot. Or never, it can't be stolen by somebody. And it's unfading. It's kept in heaven for you. And the resurrection offers for us eternal life with God in heaven. Like, just think about that for a minute. Right. Eternal life with God in heaven. What, what problems are you facing today? And how might that be impacted if you knew that you were gonna live with God for eternity in heaven? How might that change the way that you deal with, with problems? How might that deal with the way that, that you're dealing with the difficult stuff of life? I love this, uh, heaven, heaven, heaven where there's no sin. Heaven where no one will ever be able to sin against you and you won't sin against anyone else, right? Heaven where there's, there's no, I was thinking about this today, where there's no politics or election cycles. Yes, all right? Because pretty much we are always in an election cycle now, right? Gotta love that. Heaven where there's no sickness. Heaven where there's no aches and pains. Heaven where there's no cancer. Heaven where there's no growing old. Heaven where there's no losing your job. Heaven where there's no death. Heaven where there's no funerals and memorial services or natural disasters. Heaven where there's no people driving slow in the, in the left lane on Highway 14. Heaven's gonna be so awesome, right? No cats in heaven, I'm almost sure of it. <laughs> this is the resurrection hope. And it changes everything. How we face problems, defeat, discouragement, what we do with our time and our money, our anxiety, In 1 Corinthians, it tells us this. It says, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? How we thank God who gives us victory, two things, over sin and death. Victory over sin and victory over death through Jesus Christ our Lord. I love reading biographies, but they all kind of end exactly the same. Someone does something great, they die and they stay dead, but not Jesus. He rose from the dead. And there is for us an empty tomb that gives us a full life. So let me just go to the end here. So how do I connect with that? How do I connect with all that the resurrection has to offer? Just one word, believe. How do I do it? I believe, I trust, I have faith in Jesus. In Romans it tells us this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Here's what he's telling us. The connection to all that God has for us in the empty tomb is to believe Christ. It's to trust him. It's to place our faith in him. We often say, well, it's to place our faith in the person of Christ. That is that he was God, God in the flesh and in the work of Christ. He went to the cross died for our sin he rose from the dead he ascended to heaven and when we place our faith in him he offers us grace you can't work for it you can't earn it you can only accept that gift but i love what it says here in this passage it says if you confess with your mouth because what we believe in the heart will always come out of the mouth and whenever i read this passage i just always want to give you the chance to do exactly what it says here to confess that jesus is is Lord. This is a great day and a great time to do that. And so I'm going to give you a chance in a moment, and maybe you've done it a thousand times, but I encourage you to do it one more time. And maybe you have never done that before. Maybe you have never uttered those words, Jesus is Lord. But this morning, God's Spirit has spoken to your heart. I encourage you for the first time in your life to speak those words of faith and truth out loud that Jesus is Lord. Can we say that together? Jesus is Lord. Yeah, and if you are doing that for the first time, I want to encourage you, to, you can come talk to me afterwards. You can talk. Uh, we have people back at uh, the table back there. Maybe you came with somebody and they'd love to talk with you. It was cool, after the last service, we had some groups of people praying together as people were their, placing their faith in Christ. So we want to give you that chance to do as well. Let me pray for us and we'll close with a song.